You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. And so, uh, does anybody has anybody already opened up some gifts with like different family members? Okay. Has anybody uh, does anybody open up gifts on Christmas Eve? Okay. Um, I know that my family, we, we were allowed to open one uh, on the night of Christmas Eve. Uh, and then who gets up early in the morning and like races to the tree to get your gifts? Who does that? Yeah? Right? First one to the tree wins. Is that it? Um, all right. And then tomorrow we get some gifts. There's also like white elephant exchange. Anybody do any of those this season? Have those? Yeah, those are awesome. I love those. Uh, or you've got uh, Yankee Swap, which is kind of similar. And so uh, we, Yankee Swap. So uh, there's so many different uh, gifts and, and giving gifts, especially to those that you love, the, the opportunity to give someone a gift, whether it's Christmas time, birthdays, or just any time of the year, uh, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to bless someone you love with something that you know that, that they'll love. And, and a lot of times we put a lot of time, effort, and energy into thinking about what this person will love. But what ruins giving gifts is the expectation of giving the perfect gift or trying to give a gift to the person that doesn't need anything. I mean, that just sucks all the fun and life out of gift giving because you're sitting there trying to rack your brain and so you're like, I can't buy them this because they, they kind of already have that or they could go get this if they wanted to and like making them a homemade card or like pottery is just not enough anymore. Um, and so that just becomes one of those. And, it, and I remember a story. Uh, I remember when I was probably 10, 11 years old or so where um, my dad put all of this time, effort, and energy trying to find me the right gift, the proper gift. And so uh, he, he did, and, and I remember leading up to getting that the, the Christmas day, um, I remember one time they made me stay in the car, and they started pulling stuff out of the trunk, and what I really wanted was a drum set. That's what I really wanted. And uh, I thought I heard, like, the clanging of cymbals. I thought I heard them, like, dragging stuff. To, and I'm like, this is it. Like, they're taking a long time. They made me bury my head in the seat. And I, I wasn't going to spoil this on myself. Like, I wanted to see it. And so I just remember burying my head uh, in, in the seat and, and hearing all of these noises of them pulling stuff out of the trunk. I'm like, this is it. And I remember Christmas morning, everybody's opening up their gifts under the tree. And I got a bunch of small little stuff, you know, like socks and all the stuff that you get. And then, uh, and then okay, it's like, oh, no more gifts. And like, oh, Billy has one more. And I was like, here it comes. And they're like, it's in the closet in the den. Now, the closet in the den was a walk-in closet. And so I knew this is the perfect spot for there to be a drum kit. Already set up, ready to go. And so I get up and I run over there and they follow me. And my dad's got the, the, the VHS, you know. <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, wait, Billy, I got it. Right? And um, I open the door. And there was nothing on the floor of the den, like of the closet. And I'm like, where is it? And so I look at him, he's like, it's right there in front of you. He had gotten me a shiny black jacket with my name initialed here, Billy Jr. And my dad was in heavy construction, and so uh, he was a professional uh, he was the best in New York City uh, of driving a backhoe, which is a big truck that paves roads and grades roads. Um, and so he had this big grader printed, embroidered on the back of this jacket. Um, and he got a matching one as well. Um, and here's the deal. 
bless his heart, right? Um, he put so much of his heart into that gift. It meant the world to him that his son would, would wear around the thing that he was so proud of, his, he was so good at. I lost my ever-living mind. I cried and screamed and kicked. I would not put it on. I would not try it on. And I literally broke my dad's heart on that day. Um, and, and I regret that, but, but because we have all these expectations and all these thoughts that go into gift giving and, and all these traditions and, and we forget that the whole point of, of giving gifts to somebody is, is the meaning behind it and the love behind it and the relationship behind it. And we just heard a story about a man named, named Naaman who received a gift but in a very unconventional way. A man who, in the book of 2 Kings 5, and if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open your Bible. We'd like for you to hold the word of God in your hand here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles, I think, somewhere in the aisles. Or there's a version Bible app that you can open up and follow along. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to kind of give us some context and story tell a little bit of this story. But Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. So he is what the Bible called a mighty man of valor. He won many victories. He had everything. He had wealth and recognition and honor and power and success. And with all of that, I think comes this level of maybe pride because when he wanted something, he got it. And when he asked somebody to do something, they did it. Because of his success, because of his wealth, because of his power, he had this level of, of honor with the people around him that whatever he wanted, he did. And so he had this problem that's, that came up, and I'm sure that it was something that maybe he was a little bit ashamed of because we all know that nobody's perfect. Even the people in our lives that, that have wealth and, and success and, and even have great honor and are men of valor or women of valor, right, that, that they're not perfect. And so I'm sure there was one day where, where he was putting on his armor or doing something and he saw a little spot on his skin. And that little spot that was on his skin began to grow, began to spread throughout his body. He had something called leprosy. Now, what leprosy would do as it would grow would, would start to create disabilities within Naaman. Often, people with leprosy would lose functions of different limbs. This was a big deal for a mighty man of valor who would go out and win mighty battles and pull in these victories of war because of what he could do with a shield and a sword. Now, all of a sudden, the thing that he placed his identity in was fading. And in one of their raids, one of their battles, often what would happen is they would come in and they would, they would wipe everything out and they would often kidnap or steal people from those places that they conquered. And there was a little servant girl who ended up being in the service of Naaman's wife. And I don't know the relationship there, but... 
all I know is from what Scripture says, this little girl also looked up to this man, Naaman, so much so that she wanted him to be healed. And so she says to, her, to, to the, to the uh, wife, hey, I wish that he would go see the prophet Elisha back in my land of Israel um, because he could heal him by the power of God. And so people get word and they hear about this. The king hears about this. And he says, you need to go see this prophet. And so Naaman takes his gear, his cattle, a bunch of gifts and, and treasure, and sets off to see this prophet. I want to pick up in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry as he went away. Behold, I thought that he, this mighty man, this prophet, would actually come, would surely come out to me to greet me. Does he know who I am? Like, he's not even going to come out and tell me himself to my face? Like, he's going to send a messenger to me? It's like, I thought surely he would come out and see me and stand up and call the name of his Lord, the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not just go wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He actually said to you, wash and be clean. So they reasoned with him. And they went. he goes down and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So as we're looking at this story, I just want to give us some observations about Naaman's story. Three observations about the gift of Naaman's healing. Number one, the gift was simple. Elijah was not a, uh, Elisha was not a magician, right? He didn't like have to go on and put a top hat on and grab his wand and put on a cape and come out and say, you know, abracadabra, and then all of a sudden he was going to be healed. He had to call upon the name of his Lord because he knew that he was not the one capable of healing, but only God was the one capable of healing. But it was somewhat obscure to have this prescription of going and bathing in the Jordan River. There could have been more hoops to jump through. Like he could have done more, I think. I, I think that, that if, if he said you had to go climb up to the tallest mountain and get this rare flower and then grind it up and make this potion, right? That's something that a mighty man of valor would say, yes, I've got to conquer, right? I've got to conquer the dragon. Like that's what I want to do. But that's what he feels like this prescription should be. Or you should come out and do something really cool with a wand and, and all of a sudden I'm going to be healed. Like that's the, the healing that I, the gift that I want. That's what I want this to look like. But because it was so simple, Naaman couldn't accept it. It just seemed a little bit too, I don't know, ordinary for him. And so he tried to rationalize his own way. I deserve, if I'm going to go bathe in a river, I'm going to go to the best river. At least like there could be like some hot springs, you know, and some palm trees. Like I'm going to go to the best because I'm naming. You know, if it were me, hey, let me tell you, 
mighty man of God, what this should have looked like. But even his men said, hey, hey, Naaman, you would have done something far crazier. You would have done something way grander than this. So it kind of seems a bit simple. Just go do it. I mean, if it's going to heal you from the thing that's going to remove the identity that you think you have in your, your fighting these battles, then you should probably go do it. Because your sickness is going to destroy your identity as a war hero. You need healing. So what does Naaman do? He obliges. He goes and he does it. All right, all right, I'll check it out. He goes, he dips. The river seven times. And his skin becomes soft. Anybody else want to go to that river? Right? Like, like the magic cream that we put on our faces, right? Wrinkles, T-zone, right? So not only was the not only was the gift simple, but the gift was free. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I now know that there, there is no God in all of the earth but Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha says, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman's morality was not a factor. I'm not sure. I mean, history doesn't record a lot about Naaman. I don't know if he was a good man or a bad man according to our standards. But his morality wasn't a factor. His commander status, it wasn't a factor. His level of sickness, stage one, two, three, leprosy, I don't know. But his level of sickness didn't matter. His ethnicity didn't matter. He wasn't an Israelite. He was from Syria. He, he was an enemy. But that didn't matter. It was free. He just had to come and do what the man of God said that he needed to do. Free of charge. Doesn't matter. Any of those things, go dip in the river. So the gift was simple and it was free. But then another thing that we see in this story is that the gift was complete. He didn't get part of a healing. You ever, um, maybe it was as a kid or as a parent, um, you get that perfect gift, right? You get that cool remote control race car that you've always been waiting for. And it's in a box and it's packaged and, and then you have to take about 15 minutes to pull it out of the packaging, cut like 18 zip ties. Dads, dads, do, do I get any relate? Like, can you relate to me here? Right? So you're like breaking the toy as you're pulling it out of the box that they don't want it to break. Right? So you're cutting, trying to cut these zip ties. They're not, they're not easy to get to. And then finally you get the toy out. And what do you realize? Batteries not included. You can't have fun with the toy because you run around looking for C batteries. Who uses C batteries these days? I don't know, but now we can't use the toy. I gotta make a run to Walgreens or Publix. Oh wait, they're not open, it's Christmas Day, right? So it's not part of a gift. It's not this awesome gift that you can't use. It's complete. He's not only healed physically, but God does something miraculous in his heart 
where he transforms him spiritually. Here's a man who worshiped false gods his whole life and had some success doing it. But you know what those gods couldn't do? Anything. It was all just a fabrication that he made up in his mind. And then he gets sick. And they did nothing. And then he goes to the real God. And God heals him. And his spiritual identity is transformed. He is brought from death to life because now all of a sudden he believes that God is who God says he is. Look at verse 17. The Naaman said, if not, if he won't take the gift, the, the, the money, because it's free, please let there be given to your servant two mule of load of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leading, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this master matter. And he said to him, go in peace. So here's what we're seeing here. Naaman is going to go back home. And his king, the one whom he serves, I mean, if, if, if the king is here, he's right, he's right there with him. The king is what some scholars would say old and frail. And he entrusts the leader of his commander, the lead commander, to take him to worship this false god. And out of respect and honor, he's going to do that. But as he's helping his king in, and his king is going to want to bow to this false god, he is also going to have to bow down too because his king is resting and leaning on him. And he says, listen, I will never serve any other gods. And I want you to know there's going to be a moment where I'm going to have to go into this house of worship to this false god, and I'm going to have to have this appearance of bowing down. Will you even forgive me in that matter? Will you even forgive me when I'm looking like I'm serving another God? And what does Elisha say? Go in peace. Why? Because his salvation was complete. His healing was complete. It wasn't just a physical healing. It was a spiritual healing as well. So what does this have to do with Christmas? We're supposed to hear about a baby. Christmas time is a time where we stop and remember the birth of Jesus. This baby was said to be a gift. This baby was prophesied about for hundreds and thousands of years before he was born. He was going to be the gift that would bring salvation to all people. Doesn't matter their ethnicity or their status or their level of sickness. Historical evidences prove that this baby, Jesus of Nazareth, was born and that the baby grew up and actually claimed to be God. And many would claim that this baby, Jesus, was the greatest gift of all time. And many would reject the gift 
just like I rejected the gift that my dad gave me that one Christmas of that jacket. So why do so many reject this gift? And why would someone receive this gift? Well, the gift of Jesus' birth is simple. Wonderfully complex, wildly obscure, utterly simple. We would have planned it different. If, if you're anything like me, I would have planned it different. Like, I, I don't think I would have formed the Savior of the world coming in as a baby. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, which is believe in Jesus as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Seems too simple. Repent and believe? I mean, it's kind of hard to accept. I mean, I, th I need to do more. I mean, I'm enamored by progress and performance. I gotta at least read a book, right? Give me a couple of YouTube videos to watch. Like, I gotta go to a class before I can actually get into heaven, don't I? Repent and believe? All right, but there's gotta be a magical prayer, right? You guys, at the end of a service, you're gonna, you're gonna recite something that I have to repeat and then check a box, right? And then I gotta get into your database in order to be saved. Repent and believe. Almost seems too simple. Something's gotta give. Bathe in a river seven times? It's not even a clean one. Not even a pretty one. Born in a stable? No. He would have been put up at like the Bethlehem, you know, Marriott or Ritz Carlton or something. My king, that's the one I want to worship. Surrounded by animals? Hmm. But the gift of Jesus' birth is not only simple, it's free. You can pay nothing. You can't earn it. Morality, status, ethnicity, level of sickness, doesn't matter. And I think often when we hear this, that, the gospel, that, that, that this good news of, of this gift of Jesus being born, that, that believing in this, it's free, isn't that cheapening the gospel? Listen, the gospel is not cheap. It's free. You can't go buy it at Five Below or at the dollar store. It's free. And yes, it costs Jesus everything. Have you ever thought about the fact that we can't even wrap our minds around eternity that Jesus, God, they've always existed, and they existed in perfect relationship and harmony with one another, being praised day and night, day and night by angels and angelic beings for eternity that we can't even wrap our minds around and fathom. And Jesus left that to come down, to not be born a war hero, but to be born a baby that needs to get his diaper changed, 
that needs his mom to feed him. He needs to learn how to walk. Like when he's doing carpentry, he may cut himself. He gets tired. He has to eat. But he had everything. See, it cost him everything. He came down to give it all up. Not to live this cushy life and then one day just poof, disappear and go back up to heaven, but to be brutally beaten and murdered by humanity because it just seemed a little too simple. It just seemed like we wanted something different. But it was free. Now, I know that often people say, well, pastor, by saying it's free, people are just going to live however they want. I don't understand this logic. Here's why. If I traveled to, to New York City, and it was my first time going there, and I'm seeing all the buildings and the lights, and, and I decide to take the subway. And so I go down, and there's a bunch of people waiting in line of sight, but I want to see the power and the greatness of the subway, and I can't get, so I kind of push my way through to the front, and then I go, and I sit down on the edge of the platform with my feet hanging over the edge, because I want to get a good shot of the subway roaring through the tunnel. Do you know what would happen if you've not been to New York City or seen a train or a subway come roaring through? At that moment, people would be freaking out. They would be pulling on me, telling me to get up. They would think I'm crazy. They would be calling the cops. The cops would be coming. They'd be pulling me away, but I just want to see the train. And then finally, they would pull me away just in time for this, this subway to come roaring through. And all of a sudden, I would see the power and the might and the, the, just, just the, the complete chaos that that brings through that tunnel, realizing that if I was sitting where I was, it would have sucked me in and I would have been obliterated. Like, I want us to think about this. That's what sin does. We like to get so close to it because we want to see it. We want to be a, you know, just, just play a little bit. Hang out. Have fun. And then it sucks us in and destroys us. But once I saw the power of that train, and once I saw how incapable I was in the midst of the power of that train, no longer would I have wanted to sit on the edge of that platform. No longer would I have wanted to, to play on the tracks. The same is true with our sin. Once God opens up our eyes to realize that sin will only destroy our lives, God says, if you do these things, you will live. And if you don't do these things, you will surely die. This isn't morality. This isn't about being a good person. This is about life and death. And so, when God says, believe, repent, we do so because we know it will bring us life. And when he says that we can't earn it and that we don't deserve it, 
we can realize that 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 saving is free. That it's not cheapening the gospel to say that it's free. It's building it up to show you how powerful the saving power of Jesus is to overcome death, hell, and the grave. It's showing you that the magnitude of our sin that will destroy each and every one of us that are here today is only saved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We don't then would desire like, oh, I'm just going to go live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do because it's free. And I, if I could take something that's free, then I could just go do whatever. No, because your eyes are open to the fact that you're utterly helpless and hopeless without it. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your sin, but God being rich in mercy, by grace through faith in Jesus you are saved. And in verse 8, he goes on to say this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Years ago, um, there was a, uh, someone that was standing out on the curb out there um, with a sign that said, this church preaches heresy. And so as I was leading, I, I was driving out, it was over on that far driveway. And so I stopped just to find out if she was talking about that church or this church, because there's two churches on this property. And so I'm like, hey, can you just clarify wh- wh- which church you're pointing to? Um, and I said, well, what's the heresy? She says, well, they, they preach that you, you can still sin, but then also still be saved. And I said, okay. And she said, once you're saved, you never sin ever again. I said, really? And she said, yeah. I was like, is that true for you? She's like, yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, there's only one other person in the world that's pulled that card. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Like, we are all sinners. And the only way we can be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's free. The weight of sin is heavy, but the salvation of God through Jesus is greater. So it's simple, it's free, and also it is complete. Jesus was born with one purpose, to defeat sin and to restore relationship. And when he died, he didn't say, to be continued. When he died, he didn't say, hey, I did just enough to kind of get you over the hump, but then I'm going to hand the ball off to you so you can run it for the rest of your life. Tell you what, if you put me in an NFL game, I'd make a very terrible running back. You, you, you didn't, uh, you, I think you have more faith in me than I thought you would. It's complete. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Why? Because the gift of salvation that a baby brought us is final. It's complete. You will mess up. You will fail. But God's mercy and grace is always greater than your ability to live perfect. All we bring to the table in a relationship with God is our sickness It's our brokenness. It's our sin. But God gives us the gift of Jesus by faith alone through grace alone. The gift is simple. 
The gift is free. And the gift is complete. Will you receive that gift this Christmas? Will you trust that that gift is enough for you? Can I pray for us? Jesus, often we look for so much more. We want to do so much more. We want to earn your favor. We want to feel like we played some kind of part. Just like Naaman, we have a disease like leprosy that is destroying our lives. Sin. And we feel like we could buy your favor or kind of get your attention in a way with the things that we do where then all of a sudden you'll think us a good person and, and maybe allow us to walk into heaven based on merit or works. But your word is so clear. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And this is a gift that you give us. It's the gift that we needed. And it truly is the gift that you have created us to desire. And we have tried over and over again, Lord, to fill our hearts and our lives with stuff in this world. To satisfy us in, in some way, shape, or form to bring us some sort of happiness, but all the stuff in our lives, God, is temporary. And there will only be one thing that we will ever have in our entire lives that will remain when we take our last breath. And that's faith and trust in you and you alone. So God, right now, I pray that you do only what you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and stir in our hearts transformation. For those that have grown up in the church, God, I pray that this would not just be a story they hear once a year and then forget about it the rest of the year, but that remembering the birth of your son, Jesus, would cause us to live our lives for you because you gave your life for us. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that hasn't placed their full faith and their trust in you as their only salvation, not their job or their status or their morality, but place their full faith and trust in you as their salvation, I pray right now you would change their heart. You would transform their heart. You would bring them right now in this moment from death to life. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, transform. And I pray that we would be a people that take this good news and bring it to the world. Every man, every woman, every child. God, we, as your church, link arms with other local and global expressions of your church that will be meeting and celebrating your birth. God, our world is so broken and we need you. 
We need your salvation. Our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, they need you. Our moms, our dads, our grandparents, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, they need you. I pray you would give us the courage to go share your good news in this season. That we would not let another time go by because we're afraid that they may be upset with us or mad at us for telling them that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. God, we love you. We are about to stand and sing praises to your name. I pray that these praises would be sung out of a heart that overflows with joy that you have placed there, the fruit of your spirit. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. One word of encouragement. People are most open to hear about Jesus at Christmas time. But often we want to tell people what they should believe or what they need to believe. And here's what I want to say. Instead of telling them what they should believe, why don't you share what God has done in your life? Share your testimony. Share how God has transformed you, and even if that just started right now, share that story this Christmas with somebody. Because your story is a story that will bring grace and transformation to everybody around you. God has given you that story. Use it for his glory. Amen? Merry Christmas, guys.